Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to today's Signpost webinar. Hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you're joining us from today. Uh, the Signpost series is brought to you by Chagas in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, the National Rural Network, and Food Drink Ireland Skillnet. So today we're going to be talking about nitrogen, but from a slightly different angle. Uh, nitrogen is an essential nutrient for plant growth, uh, development, and that reproduction. However, recent policy emphasis on reducing our reliance on artificial nitrogen coupled with significant price rises have focused minds on more sustainable sources of nitrogen. And red clover is a plant that has the ability to capture or fix nitrogen from the air and feed it into the soil and surrounding plants. And today we're joined by Dr. James Humphreys, Principal Research Officer with Chagisk in Moor Park. And James is going to be talking to us today about managing red clover on dairy farms. Good morning, James. You're very welcome. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, everybody. And good morning, Pat Murphy. You're joining us from County Wexford this morning. You're going to help us with questions afterwards. How are you today? Great. Still stuck in County Wexford, haven't been out of it in a while. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully with the relaxation or imminent relaxation of the restrictions, uh, they might let you out for a few days. Um, James, good morning, and and uh, you're 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 welcome back to the the, uh, the signpost webinar. This isn't your first uh, time to join us, and uh, maybe James, you could tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing, uh, in particular in Solahead Farm, is probably the the main focus of, of where you, you uh, uh, do your research in this area? So um, what we've been working at in the last few years is looking at low carbon dairy farming. And, and key question is how low can we reduce our carbon footprint? And uh, we've, we've had a, an awful lot of visitors to the farm over the last couple of years, despite the lockdown. And the big question that's coming up, you know, farmers are stuck on the, stocked up on the grazing platform they're making more use of their out blocks. And they're the kind of big questions, like how do you manage clover on a fairly heavily stocked grazing platform, maybe stocked at three and a half cows per there, and then using the out blocks. And, and something we've been looking at is using red clover on the out blocks, mm. because you can grow a very high yield of uh, herbage for silage with no nitrogen fertilizer. And, you know, looking down the line when there's going to be restrictions on the amount of fertilizer that we can use, the thinking is, and this is really coming from farmers, that um, if we 20% of the farm in the outblock, we could maybe put red clover in the outblock, use no nitrogen on it, and that will give us our 20% reduction. That's that's the kind of story in a simple nutshell. Okay. So I know today's talk is, is the emphasis on dairy, but I imagine there are, are lessons here for uh, all uh, farming systems, um, potentially even cl- including tillage farmers. <laughs> Um, if, if, if there's a, a route there for, for growing uh, forage crops. So look, uh, James, I think we'll get straight into the presentation. I know you have um, uh, quite a few messages to share with us. So, so James, I'll hand over to you. As I was saying, the topic is uh, red clover. And why is there an interest in red clover? And as I was saying at the, at the open day last year, it was the single biggest question that was coming up. And really, it's a case where we're seeing intensification on dairy farms higher stocking rates on the grazing platform, great reliance on, on silage production on the outblocks from outblocks that may have not been used as intensively in the past. There is a requirement to cut fertilizer nitrogen by 20% by the end of the decade. And I suppose the thinking is we can produce very high yields of silage on outblocks using red clover, which is a very high capacity to fix nitrogen and um, cut our nitrogen fertilizer use on farms in that way. Big risk, of course, is that we don't have a lot of experience with red clover in this country. So there's a case of taking something on and not really knowing, you know, farmers taking this on and not really knowing what they're going into or what they might be getting into. So the idea of this presentation really is to kind of lay out the pros and cons of red clover. So if we look at the history of it, as we're saying, there's not much experience of it in this country. I suppose it was traditionally used in mixed arable and grassland farms in England and Belgium and places like that in in more productive areas where you have a mix of grassland and arable farming and where the cost of reseeding was partially covered by the arable crop. Because that's one of the things with red clover, it doesn't last that long. So there is a greater reseeding cost with it. And of course, if that can be factored into uh, 
say if you're growing a crop of potatoes or something, you know, partially covers the cost because you have to be reseeding anyway. You have to be cultivating anyway. And it fits in as a typically a kind of a fertility building part of a grass arable rotation. And, and I suppose that's why it's popular in organic farms where red clover has a very large capacity to fix nitrogen. So it can build up fertility in the soils. Problems with it with in, the, in the UK that emerged in the 70s and the 80s with um, sclerotinia, which is a fungal disease, and also stinium eelworm, which is a nematode. And I think that's something that we need to be wary of. At the same time, in the UK and elsewhere in Europe, we saw a large-scale transition to uh, chemical fertilizer nitrogen use and a, and a move away from these legumes, uh, I suppose, which kind of brought about a big reduction in its use in the UK and elsewhere. And more recently, then we've seen the emergence of steam eelworm as a problem in Denmark. Now, there's an interesting story here and, 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 and a lesson for us as well in that when you think about it, um, big increase in fertilizer nitrogen use across Europe and Ireland during the 70s. Uh, Denmark, very free draining soils. Problems started to emerge with uh, nitrate leaching, uh, leaching into the Baltic Sea, cause, causing dead zones within the Baltic Sea. And that really was the the beginning of the nitrates directive. The first country to introduce the nitrates directive in Europe was, was Denmark. In the same way as we were the first country in Europe to introduce the smoking ban. And then the nitrates directive spread from Denmark to other countries, you know, became European wide or EU wide. And the thinking in Denmark at that time in the early 90s was that if we're going to be, well, thinking from a dairy farmer point of view, is that if they were going to be restricted in terms of uh, stocking rate and fertilizer nitrogen use, they may as well go organic. So. I think up to 20% of their dairy farmers went organic to get the higher milk price, started making greater use of clover, uh, red clover in particular, and then steel, steel mealworm then re-emerged as a problem. And I think there's a lesson in that for us if red clover is to become um, more popular. But, you know, um, there are things that we need to be concerned about, but it's not something that's insurmountable, that, these diseases can be controlled by a four-year break between crops. And I think we need to factor that into our thinking when we're thinking about red clover. We also have new cultivars that are bred for resistance to these diseases. So, you know, there's, there's, there's scope for hope on that front as well. And the thing about, say, Denmark, for example, like 19% of their land is used for grass arable type farming, and only 10% of their land area is used for... Um, for permanent grassland, whereas the situation in Ireland is the exact opposite. 90% of our land is under permanent grassland. So we don't really know how prevalent these diseases are likely to become under uh, Irish conditions because steam eelworm, for example, is a common disease of many different arable crops. And if we encounter it in this country, it's more likely in relation to potatoes or something like that. Um, also sclerotinia can be a disease of other, um, of other crops like peas and beans. And, um, in terms of identification uh, with the steam eelworm, it's a nematode, it's microscopic, you can't see it. And I suppose really what, what happens is you get a stunting of the crop. And you can see the damage caused by the eelworm in the stem, but really the internode links are, are shortened and you end up with these stunted crops here relative to the typical crop. And I suppose that's the key identifier that if your crop is stunted, the problem is steam eelworm. In terms of sclerotinia, uh, they say that um, I, I've no direct experience of these, of course, but you, you end up with open patches in the, in the crop. Also, you see this white mold growing on the stem. It should be green, like the one here or, or here. And if you crack open the stem, you'll find these black uh, fungal growths inside the stem, which is kind of uh, clearly indicative of the disease along with the white mold. And I just James, sorry, to, sorry yeah. to interrupt you there. There's a few people just wondering, could we improve the sound quality? I suspect your microphone is, is, is select, you're from your laptop is selected. I was wondering, could you maybe go up to the mute button there, there's a little arrow beside that, and you can select up the top of your screen, I'd say you'll probably see the, the mute uh, button, if, a little arrow beside that, you can select which microphone is being used. Is that better? Um, not sure if I noticed much of a difference there. It's the headset you've selected, is it? Headset earphones, yeah. Okay, all right. It might be just the headset uh, microphone is a good bit away from your mouth. Just you yeah, might. might bend it in a little bit. Or will I switch to the other system? That sounds better. That sounds fine. Okay, thanks, James.
Okay. Um, I hope that's better. Um, and I suppose the last thing I'd say about that is um, that there, are, you know, there's very low incidence of these diseases on Irish farms at present on grassland farms. So it's not something that we're likely to see in the near future. But it, it wouldn't be something that would put me off at, at the present time. Um, so in terms of a SWOT analysis, then um, looking, try to weigh up the pros and cons of breakover. Very high fixation rates, in excess of 200 kilos per hectare, so we can lower fertilizer nitrogen costs, which is very pertinent at the moment. We can get very high yields of silage off the outblocks, and I'll go into that uh, during the presentation. And I think it fits in with the new cap where there's this requirement to lower fertilizer nitrogen use by 20%. Because we've lowered fertilizer use, we'll also lower carbon footprint. Same reason we lower ammonia emissions. I was say white clover in the grazing system won't give us a reduction in nitrate leaching. If we're using red clover in this way in a multi-cut silage system, in a cut and carry type scenario, we can expect very low nitrate leaching under this type of management where all of the nutrients will be taken up by the crop. The crop ends up in the silage pit, fed the cows indoors, the slurry is collected and, and applied back out to the out block. And if, if that slurry is well managed, we can expect very, very low nutrient losses from, from this crop. So there's a lot of positives there from an environmental point of view. And in terms of opportunity, uh, there's the possibility of using it in grazing swards as well. That's something that we've been trying out for the last few years and we're very pleased with it. In terms of the weaknesses, poor persistency is the big, is the big concern. Crop might only last maybe three or four years. And then of course you have costs and risks of course associated with regular reseeding. And we'll try to talk about how we might manage around that. Red clover is more difficult, difficult to ensile so that you need to be a bit more careful around silage making, stock control, or our capacity is limited. And again, it's, 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 a, it's a matter of concern. I've already spoken about these two diseases, uh, stemealworm and sclerotinia. Another thing that comes up is that red clover is a high phytoestrogen content. Um, that can affect the fertility of sheep during the breeding season, but it doesn't really have any effect on, on dairy cattle. If anything, it might have a positive impact. And then, of course, there's the risk of bloat under the grazing. So, you know, red clover, you know, it's not all pluses. There are weaknesses as well that we need to be concerned about. Now people will be more familiar with white clover in this country um, and of course red clover and white clover they're both clovers and from the point of view they're both they both have trifoliate leaves and they also fix nitrogen both of them also fix nitrogen but that's really where the similarities end. Um, I'd often describe the growth habit of white clover it's very much if you see ivy growing up a wall white clover grows along the surface of the ground in the same way as ivy grows up a wall, it grows in between the grass. The growing points are close to the ground and they're well protected from grazing and from animal hooves and that sort of thing. So white clover can be much more persistent. Red clover, I'd equate its growing habit to be more like a, more like a dock. And um, here's some more pictures here. It's a, a tap-rooted species like a dock. Um, it has a wreck growth habit. You can see here from this picture, it can grow up to a meter tall. And you have multiple shoots then growing out from a crown. And the risk is if any of these shoots get damaged or if the root get killed, that's, that's the end of it. The, the plant has very limited uh, capacity for vegetative re regeneration. Whereas white clover has almost endless capacity, uh, red clover has very limited capacity. And, and that has a big bearing on the time frame of the crop. So in terms of the level of herbage production that we can expect from this crop, um, I suppose the best example of this is some work that was done in Grange between 2003 and 2007. And what we're looking at here is uh, red clover with perennial ryegrass that received no nitrogen fertilizer. So you can see the red clover content and the ryegrass content. And that's compared then with perennial ryegrass receiving 600 kilos of nitrogen per hectare. Our own limited, um, you know, they didn't want nitrogen fertilizer to be limiting in this study. And then it was conducted over seven years over six years. And the first thing you can see here is the very high level of herbage production from the red clover relative to the high nitrogen system and consistently over six years, which was a remarkable result when the expectation was that it wasn't going to last that long. 
The second thing that, that's important to note here is that there was a decline in the red clover content of the sward, and that's something that we can expect over time, which shortens the lifetime of the crop. And of course, the, the crop remains productive, even with the red clover declining, partly because of this fertility, this buildup of fertility that we, we can expect. In terms of an overall comparison over the six years, the red clover grew marginally more grass than the perennial ryegrass with high nitrogen. It's a very positive result. We can expect very high production, no nitrogen fertilizer, so it's a relatively cheap crop from that point of view. So the next big question then is, uh, if, we were, if we're going sowing red clover, what cultivar should we be looking at? And I think the best source of information for this is from Northern Ireland. We don't have a recommended list in this country. And this is work that was done um, around 10 years ago now. I, I don't think there's a newer list, or at least I haven't been able to find one. And these are the type of varieties um, that were tested. And again, you can see these are three full production years. You can see high levels of production in Northern Ireland um, and the type of varieties that were used. Now, Mergate is, is a variety that we used back in the 90s uh, in some work. And it was also one of the varieties used in the, in the Grange work and was considered an old enough variety at that time. So um, these are some of the, of the more, more recent varieties that have, that have come on the market. Another good source of information is uh, the recommended list for England and Wales. And we see the same type of uh, cultivars coming up here. Um, then we see a list of other, other ones and we can see this one here, Berga, which is a, a red clover variety that has been bred by Patrick Conaghan in, in Oak Park. And if we look at it in terms of yield, it performs very well. And also in terms of probably just even more importantly, in terms of persistency, it, it scores very well in terms of persistence. And I think persistence is a very important trait and it was bred for that. And I guess this is a variety that we need to keep an eye on for the future. Um, I don't think it's going to be available this year. That really will be available commercially in, in 2023. Um, I have seen different mixes that people have been using and, and I just put up a word of warning there that uh, some of those some of the red clover you'll see in, in, in some of the mixtures um, when they, they, they wouldn't be on either of the above lists that I showed. And um, when you look up about them, then you find that they're recommended for use in continental or in Nordic environments, which isn't really uh, appropriate for our conditions here. Now, I'm not saying that they're bad varieties. We, we just have no information on them. Really what these would be the varieties that we're happy to recommend and they're varieties suitable for um, temperate type of environment that we're working at in this country. The next thing is, is uh, seeding rates. If we pick a variety, what seeding rate do we go on with? And one thing to note, I find out a number of differences between red clover and white clover. And another big difference is the, the size of the seed. Red clover seed is far bigger than a um, seed of white clover. And that's something that you need to take into account when it comes to um, seeding rates. So these are examples of two different mixtures for two different situations. This is a short-term type mixture we've used in Salahed uh, with a hybrid ryegrass, nine kilos, four kilos of white clover, one kilo of, four kilos of red clover, one kilo of white clover. And this would be short, more suitable for a shorter term situation. This mix here, two perennial ryegrasses, um, uh, heading dates in, in mid to late May, four kilos of each, four kilos of red clover and one kilo of white clover. And this would be for a longer term more persistent uh, type of mix that we'd hope would last for maybe 10 years. Because white clover is, uh, is, is much more persistent than red clover and we'd always recommend putting white clover into the mix. But the expectation is something along the lines here that as the red clover is dominant after receding, very high production for the first four or five years, and then that will start to die out of the sward over time. And then the white clover will start to come into the sward more and more over time. And of course, the white clover then can be topped up with oversowing if necessary to maintain a productive sward over a 10 year period because you want to keep down the cost of reseeding. Um, and also, if the red clover dies out, well, that gives us a, a disease break here towards the end of the life cycle of that particular crop of uh, forage. Question that often comes up then is about oversowing red clover. You know, we're familiar with the idea of oversowing white clover, and that can be problematical enough, but I would I have concerns about oversowing red clover. I suppose the first one is, is that the seed size is, is so much larger. So if you're putting on, say, two kilos of white clover seed, you're putting on around um, three million seeds per acre. 
with red clover at the same rate to put it on only a million seeds. And if we're hoping that the seeds will come in contact with spaces in the sward where they'll get a chance to germinate, you know, you have a much higher probability with white clover than with red clover, unless, of course, we up the rate of seeding of red clover, which is feasible as well. And we can see these seedlings coming through. The second concern I'd have is that red clover doesn't produce stolons in the same way as white clover. So if a white clover seedling gets established here, you know, it gets established in this ward, next thing that can start to grow out, spread out, and it could spread maybe up to uh, a meter per year. Whereas red clover, if that seedling gets established, that's it. It doesn't really have any capacity to spread. So that's a limitation. And the third thing with oversowing is how you manage it afterwards is very important in terms of uh, grazing out tight, allowing plenty of light down to the seedlings. And if you're trying to grow red clover in the multi-cut silage system, you don't really have that opportunity. So for the most part, uh, we'd be strongly recommending that if you're putting in red clover, that you put it in as a, as a full reseed. Making silage. Now, this is something that was looked at in Grange. Their conclusion was that an earlier harvesting schedule increases both herbage production and the persistence of red clover. So when we talk about earlier harvesting schedule, what we're really talking about there is putting, taking off the first cut sometime in, in mid to late May, as opposed to say early June, for example, that the earlier harvesting schedule works better. So starting in mid-May and really then taking off cuts maybe every six, seven, eight weeks afterwards. So this is the schedule that worked best in Grange. Uh, taking first cut in late May, mid-July, 1st of September, and then a late cut in, in, in November, December. This is a schedule we used in Salahed last year. We grazed it in the spring. It's not something we're going to do again, but uh, under the circumstances. We had planned to take off the cut then in, in around the 15th of May, but we got very wet weather conditions during May last year, and really it was the June bank holiday weekend before we got the first cut. Um, we want to avoid cutting the crop under wet conditions because we want to avoid damage, but also we need to get a good wilt in the crop and I'll say more about that. Second cut in in mid-July, similar yields to Grange, you can see third cut in, we, we took it slightly earlier in early end of August because we wanted to do some drainage work in the field. And then we got a good cut there in mid-November. And I think it's one of the problems with managing out blocks, particularly where you can't get livestock to the out block, is how you manage, like if you take off a cut in early September, you can still accumulate an awful lot of grass by um, by the middle of October. And if you don't, that needs to be managed, otherwise it'll, it'll rot. And we've seen situations where we had maybe two tons, two and a half tons of cover built up on a sward mid-October on an out block. And maybe that's down to a ton and a half by December because it just, just rots away. Um, in terms of digestibility, say comparing red clover with perennial ryegrass, lower digestibility. That's another way in which red clover is, is, is different to white clover. White clover tends to have higher digestibility. Similar enough group protein, lower than the ryegrass. Big concern here is the much lower water-soluble carbohydrates, which is substrate for fermentation, and also a higher buffering capacity, uh, which makes it more difficult to ensile it. It, it. it makes it more difficult to drop the, the, the pH of the crop. And if we look a bit more deeper into that, we can see consistently across three cuts, four cuts, lower digestibility, through protein lower in the first cut, second cut, not so much in the third cut, and then very low water-soluble carbohydrates, particularly during the second and third cuts when there's a lot of clover in the swards, and lower, higher buffering capacity. And, and I think if, if, if we had looked at these figures before we had um, started growing red clover, we, we would uh, maybe have talked twice about it, but the reality is, in practical reality, we've had no difficulty making good silage um, of these swards. So the implications of this is that it's more difficult to ensile, so we need to wilt or use an effective preservative. 48-hour wilt works very well in solid, so you know, that's part of the reason we're watching the weather forecast, and weather forecast now is really accurate, so very reliable. So what we do is we cut it, spread it out, wilt it for 48 hours, roll it in, little. Third cut can be risky and there's no hope of uh, ensiling the fourth cut in, in, in November. And as I was saying, you can build up high covers in October, November, and there is a real risk of senescence, so we need to, to harvest that. The approach that we're taking in solid is to zero graze. Uh, you have, also have the option maybe of grazing with heifers or other young stock. 
put some work in order. And Ireland would say that that does uh, shorten the, the lifetime of this ward. So what we're really trying to do is, is to stick with, uh, with, with minimal damage, damage using the zero grazer. So this is our planned harvesting schedule, starting 15th to 20th of May, which we shown to work best in Grange. Then early to mid-July, and a third cut. We may be able to even fit a fourth cut into it before the end of September. Uh, that I think that's something worth looking at, but this is the kind of recommended schedule we could go with. And then in November, we'll zero graze. We have to zero graze maybe two cuts in, in, in the autumn, depending on the weather conditions. This is uh, an, uh, the analysis of the first cut silage in solid in 2021. This is first cut red clover, very high dry matter. Um, and we'd normally wilt all the silage, so we'd normally be 40% dry matter plus. pH is good for that type of dry matter, low ammonia, ash, so there's very low contamination of this ward. NDF is more or less on target. BMD is reasonably good, so 70s is typically the silage that we, we make in solid and, and similar with the UFL. And um, I suppose clover is normally associated with higher group protein. In this case, um, group protein was low. But if you take this silage overall, you'd be, you'd be very happy with it. In terms of the zero grazing, this is all ahead late November. It's down by the river, so it's a wet place. Now conditions were, were good. This is the type of crop we were cutting. You will notice when you look at the, the material being put into the cows here that there is a fair amount of senescent material in it. And I think our plan this year is we'll run one system at three and a half cows per hectare. Um, and we'll they'll have to be housed up earlier because of the short grow, growing season or because of the higher stocking rate. And we'll zero graze in that grass starting maybe late October um, <clears throat> and make better use of it uh, and avoid the senescence that that's a, so you need to be concerned about. In terms of the feeding value, didn't have red clover silage, um, like the digestibilities are only say adequate, but there's more to feeding value than just digestibility. And with clover, what you have is a higher rate of uh, particle size break breakdown and outflow through the system. And if we think about the digestive system of a, of a cow as a, a bit like an industrial process, like if, if the material can pass through the process quicker, um, it can be used more quickly. And, and that's really what's happening here. It's lower digestibility, but it passes through the system more quickly. And this gives us higher intake. So if we said red clover silage versus perennial ryegrass silage, you might have 10% lower digestibility, but 10% higher intake. And the higher intake com compensates them for lower digestibility. And that's something we clearly see in ahead because the cows really, they really go mad for the red clover silage. Um, you know, if it's well made and it's good and dry, they, 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 they go mad for it. They, they really eat, lick it up. So they can perform very well on it once allowances are not restricted. And of course, with dry cows, you, the, there's also the possibility of restricting allowances to avoid them getting too fat over the wind. Now, soil fertility is very important. Uh, you think, say, with red clover, it's got this capacity to fix a lot of nitrogen, to build fertility in soils. But also, we have to pay much closer attention to soil fertility, uh, other aspects of it. The first thing to think about is, is uh, nitrogen fertilizer and the productivity. And this is the average of six years in range. In one set of plots, they put on no fertilizer nitrogen. On the other set, they put on 50 kilos in the spring. And what they found was that they had higher production, significantly higher production with no nitrogen compared to where they put nitrogen on. And really what was happening was that the nitrogen was causing a, a depression of the red clover content of the sward and less fixation. Where there's no nitrogen putting on, they had higher red clover contents, which of course is important for the persistence of this ward. When we look at Salahed, in a crop established in 2019, two years of data, we see similar enough herbage production to, to Grange. So we, we can see that on a number of different sites across the island of Ireland. And again, where we put on zero and 65 kilos of nitrogen, again, lower herbage production with the nitrogen, where does nitrogen go into the system because it's depressing the red clover content of this board. And I think there's a key lesson there. In terms of lime P and K, we need to apply lime to bring the pH up to 6.5. Nitrogen fixation is a biological process, but we need to be close to uh, neutrality in terms of pH to, to facilitate that. This crop is a, if we're growing 15 tons of dry matter per hectare, it has a very high requirement for K and tap rooted crops like red clover have a high requirement for K. 
but we're t typically taking off around 375 kilos k per hectare per year, which is 300 units per acre. And I could say to apply P and K in, in, in line with soil test results, which of course is important if, if the soil tests are high. Generally speaking, what we see on outblocks is that generally uh, those soils are quite depleted, um, tend to be index one soils. And under those type of conditions, one or index one or two, what we recommend is putting on 25 kilos of K and three kilos of P for every ton of dry matter expected in the next harvest. So for example, if we expect to take off um, five tons of dry matter in the first cut, we need to put on 125 kilos of K, which is 100 units of K, or 15 kilos of P, which is five tons by three, so 12 units per acre. And this can be put on either as organic manure or as mineral fertilizer. And if we take a thousand gallons of slurry, and of course the content of that can be very variable, but if this, this type of constituents would be typical, 3000 gallons of this would meet our requirement for the first cut. But over the course of the year, over maybe the course of four cuts, we will need to go in with some fertilizer K in particular. Now the thing about uh, this crop is that it'll take up all the nutrients that are available. So there is a risk of luxury uptake of K, um, if the crop doesn't perform to expectation or maybe combination of fertilizer and slurry and there's an excess of K put on. And there is a risk of high K silage, silage and the associated risk then of milk fever. And it's something to bear in mind. Of course, if you consider cutting back on K to avoid milk fever, there's a real risk that will shorten the longevity of the sward. So there's a kind of a, a balance that has to be hit there. In terms of what we do in Salahead, we'll test all the silages for K as far as the the, the tests that we'll do, and we'll avoid feeding any high K silages. You know, we'll, we'll save that until after the cows have calved. And then in terms of nitrogen fertilizer, it does more harm than good. So, so not applying nitrogen fertilizer is, is, um, is not necessary. It's only adding costs with no benefit. Another big thing that can have a big influence on the longevity of these warts is uh, docks. Like there are dock sprays like Prospect and Eagle, um, which are not particularly effective. And really the concern is that the conditions that are suitable for red clover, which is a taproot species, is also favorable for docks. So if we think about high K situations, long rotations between cuts, you know, maybe minimum number of cuts per year. These are conditions that work for red clover, but they're also very suitable for docks. And really the, the, the best time to control docks is um, during reseeding. And we, we, recently published some work on this that, that where you can, if you can get good control during reseeding, that will last for the 10 years of the crop. So really it's, it's a matter of um, putting on your herbicide after reseeding. You see some young ducks establishing here. We can see young clovers when they first come up, they produce this shovel shaped leaf. Now if you spray at this stage, you'll kill the ducks, but you'll, you'll also kill the clover. So it's too early. And they also say that you shouldn't allow the duck to become bigger than a dock leaf here to become bigger than the size of a two euro coin. So there is a bit of a, a timing issue. And if you take say, April this year, for example, we've got a very cold April, cold and dry. Crops were very slow to establish, which was maybe eight or nine weeks after sowing that we um, actually went in and sprayed. If you do it under other conditions, it could be after six weeks. So the, there's no real time that you can say, really you have to look at the crop, make sure that the white clover is well developed or the red clover is well developed with full trifoliate leaves and gone past this stage with the shovel shaped leaf. And this is here's a picture of um, a crop after spraying. And you can see the ducks are after being hit. You can see the, the, the brown coming in on the leaves there. And you can see how well developed the, the, the red clover is at that stage. <coughs> There's a limit on, on um, the herbicides that we can use, uh, post-emergence herbicides. Um, <clears throat> and um, these were available subject to derogation last year. We hope that they'll be available um, again this year under that same derogation. It's important to make sure that they're clover safe and that they're suitable for, for red and white clover and, and, and to get the timing right. Because what can happen with docks is, um, you know, you'll, you'll reseed, you don't spray, you won't really see the problem for the first couple of years. Then after year three or four, docks will really start to come into this ward Conditions really suit them very well. And next thing they'll, they'll take over and destroy this ward and you're back in receding after four or five years. 
So it's very important to get that right. James, we have about two minutes left. Okay, this is the, the last topic now, Mark. It's, it's red clover for grazing. And um, these are the type of mixes we're using. Uh, two perennial ryegrasses, two examples. Uh, perennial ryegrass, 10 kilos, two kilos of red clover in both mixes, two kilos of white clover. So a slightly different mix to the silage mix. And we're finding this to be very beneficial. Put the red clover in there, it gives us good production for the first couple of years. And again, as the red clover dies out, it'll die out more quickly under these circumstances. We get the white clover becoming dominant and it gives us a disease break. So then to, to, to draw some conclusions, in terms of herbage production and longevity, we can get high herbage production under a multi-cut system. We're talking close to 15 tons of dry matter per hectare per year, which is very good, very cost-effective if we can maintain it over a, a long time period. And how do we improve longevity? First of all, no nitrogen fertilizer, it's not necessary. Secondly, adequate K fertilization. Avoid damage by machinery and animal hooves during wet, wet weather. In the that regard, say we'll put on slurry using the umbilical system, take off silage. We mainly make bales. We avoid heavy machinery. And, and as they said, we're going to zero graze as opposed to graze in the autumn. And post-emergence dock, dock, dock control is absolutely vital when reseeding. Lime, of course, is also important. And lime is important then for nitrogen fixation. In terms of making silage, what we recommend is, is starting, say, 15 to 20 to May and having perennial ryegrass varieties that, make, that, that match with that, then cutting six or seven week intervals afterwards. Question that often comes up about the cutting height, <clears throat> and we'd say there's no need to adjust that, that when you go out to measure cutting height of a lot of mowers, they come in at five or six centimeters anyway. 48 hour wilt is very important. Or use an effective preservative. In our case, that would be uh, using molasses. And the high intake then compensates for lower digestibility. When it comes to reseeding, choose a cultivar off the UK recommended list, Northern Ireland preferably. These are kind of ones that we're happy with that we know something about. In an acre pack, then we're talking about three to four kilos of red clover, six to nine kilos of ryegrass. That'll depend on whether it's perennial ryegrass, tetrapied, diploid, or whether it's a hybrid ryegrass, and then one kilo of white clover. And post-emergent stock control, it's absolutely vital. You get one opportunity, don't miss it. In terms of the worm and sclerotinia, I think the risk is low for the time being. I think it's something we need to be conscious of for the future. And it's a good idea to plan to have a four-year four break between crops to red clover, and then select disease-resistant cultivars. Other questions that come up a lot are, should, on an outblock, should you grow maize or red clover? I think if the ground is good enough for maize, you should grow maize. You, 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 you have the cost of sowing down every year, but you only have one silage harvest per year. Of course, the other way you could look at this question, it should be not red clover versus maize, but red clover and maize, where you grow, it's very common on the continent to say to grow red clover for three or four years and then put in a maize crop for maybe three years. Five estrogens, it's a concern for sheep. It's not an issue with, with dairy cattle. And then bloat can be a problem under grazing, but it's not when you're feeding uh, silage. It's, it's not an issue at all, really. And then the other big question, of course, is oversowing red clover. And, and, and I just put out a word of warning that it's not the same as oversowing white clover. And if you've had problems with oversowing white clover, it's not going to be better with white clover. But that's it, Mark. Um, Thanks, James. You, you covered a lot there in a short space of time. And just uh, we will be putting the slides up on our website um, later on today, just to, if you are want to get some of the facts and figures that are included there, uh, because no, you, you provided some very useful uh, data there uh, showing the difference between Grange and, and Solahead. Um, and just to maybe I, I see we have a few farmers on, online today. Uh, be interested to see are there any farmers out there that have tried red clover just be interested to get your what your experience has been uh, i see one farmer has has a uh, has sown uh, red clover and is, is quite happy with the the results um he sold it in 2020 august 2020 and was pleased with his performance in, in 2021 uh, now he did say he used reduced chemical n uh, which probably he probably didn't need to use really, um, and he should. His question was, should I try applying zero chemical in this year? Uh, I imagine your advice would be, without without question. Like yeah. 
white, white clover has some tolerance, but it seems red clover is very intolerant of um, nitrogen fertilizer. They do, they, as I said, it does more harm than good. It's, yeah, and it's not only the evidence from Ireland, if we look internationally as well, it's, uh, that, 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 that contention is well supported. And, and James, would you be advising people to even experiment with this? Um, we know that uh, multi-species swords is, is becoming quite popular um, and, and people are trying it out and giving it a go. I mean, is that something you'd, you'd recommend with, with red clover as an option? I think the similarities in, in the way that uh, multi-species sword and red clover have received a lot of interest, that people are interested in them and are trying it. <clears throat> I think the similarities because red clover is, a, is an important component of multi-species sword. So some of the concerns are raised there about red clover. We also need to be concerned um, with multi-species ward, if we're going to grow, say, red clover continuously, are we going to end up with a, these disease risks? Um, I think I think I leave it up to people themselves. Um, I know that, that that organic farmers have a good bit of experience with with, um, with growing this crop, and yeah, I, I've seen high levels of production out on on organic farms, commercial farmers as well, less so, but but it seems, that interest seems to be growing. And does that that dock issue uh, is that an issue for organic farmers, or how do they how do they manage that? I, I I can't answer how they manage it, but I know again looking at literature, docks are a big problem on organic farms. Mm. You know that the dock will always be with us. On strong arms. <laughs> Past there are a lot of questions coming. A lot of huge interest in this topic. Um, pretty around uh, varieties and. Uh, and the availability of seed, I presume, a lot of the the main major seed companies that um, James um, seed is is readily available on with, with those varieties that you spoke about. My understanding yeah. is 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 that 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 there isn't an issue with seed availability. Like the concern is is that there has been a growth and in interest in using white clover and red clover, and you know, with 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 problems with um containers moving around the world and a lot of the seed is grown in New Zealand is it something that we need to be concerned about and I put this question to, to the seed companies and, and they said it's not anything that we should be concerned about that they should be able to get plenty of seed so the last thing I want to do is contribute to some sort of rush <laughs> there doesn't seem to be an issue around that yeah. A huge uh, question. There's, there's one in there in relation to, I suppose, a, a, a balancing question between the reduction in the potential uh, greenhouse gas emissions from the, the reduced nitrogen versus, I suppose, the uh, increased potential loss of soil carbon from cultivation. Uh, have you any figures on that or any... Uh, well, yeah, we've been measuring soil carbon and soil ahead now for 20 years. And I think one of the reasons we kind of locked on to this idea of a 10-year interval is that uh, we, okay, we lose a lot of carbon during cultivation for reseeding. But if we can um, hold that interval to around more than eight years, we, we regain that carbon. So if it's eight to 10-year interval, we're talking about carbon neutral reseeding. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. So we lose carbon, we could lose... I think it's 100 tons of carbon dioxide or 30 tons of carbon in a matter of 24 hours. But we can gain that back then over 10 years. If we had to reseed more frequently, say if we were growing red clover in rotation with maize, which of course maize wouldn't grow at all in Salahed, um, there's more of a concern there. And I, and I guess, you know, that's why there's soil testing for carbon on tillage farms. That's more of a tillage type scenario. But in a permanent grassland, if you put it in for as a 10-year crop, which economically that's that's really what you need to be thinking about, I, I wouldn't be concerned about soil carbon in that case. Okay. The question in relation to, you talked about the 10-year cycle uh, with a shift from red clover towards uh, white clover. Are you still talking about that being a cut uh, crop or are you uh, is it a shift to grazed uh, 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 in the latter stages? No, so I, I, I've got two scenarios there, but, but really the, the main focus of the talk was on an external block ground, that a stockless situation where you're cutting it four or five times per year. Yeah. So if the red clover dies out, and it won't just all die out overnight, it'll die out, you know, the crop just gets thinner and thinner. 
uh, and then the white clover will start to take over more and more. Now, as we come towards the end of that cycle, we may be growing closer to 12, 13 tons with a mainly white clover type sward. Then we'll be growing, say, 15 tons, maybe early or in the middle of the cycle. And of course, even if the white clover became problematical, there's also the option of just going in with nitrogen fertilizer, you know. But I, I think, um, you know, I think the thing can be run and we've, we've looked at this as well. You know, you can still grow high yields with white clover if the red clover dies out. Okay. And of uh, course, you also have the option of oversawing the white clover if necessary. I, th I think you've clarified it there. There was a question is what's an outblock? <laughs> but I think you, you've clarified what you, what you mean there. Uh, a couple of questions relate to the other potential benefits and a question there in relation to the, the fact that it's uh, more of a taproot that you're, you're, you're talking about and, and does that lead to improved soil health? Uh, tackling uh, compaction and any other issues, and I suppose the other issue there is it is it more or less drought pro uh, uh, proof than uh, or drought resistant than a perennial ryegrass crop. Well, okay, so it's tap rooted, so it has a deep tap root. But like, if you take ryegrass, perennial ryegrass, ryegrass has a much finer root system, and and it can be very deep. And if we look at the root volumes of red clover you have this big taproot and everything else, but if we go into those types of swords, we'll find that the ryegrass content of the root volume is maybe 85%. So you have a, like, never underestimate the, the like ryegrass is extremely competitive for nutrients, massive capacity. And personally, I, I don't think these rooted crops, these deep rooted crops necessarily give us uh, improved drought resistance. So that's just my own concern. I, I um, and like in Salahed, it's a wet farm with a shallow water table. We still suffer from drought, say in years like 2018. We okay. have a comment here, James, from a sheep farmer in Scotland who's joining us this morning, and uh, she's saying that she has used red clover for the last 20 years, uh, having seen it on organic farms, and she says it makes awesome silage for the O's, uh, high intake, and reduces the need for concentrate uh, pre-lambing. And then graze, yeah, yos and lambs before May, shut off for silage, then two cuts, then finish the last of the lambs in September, October. She says it's a no-brainer. You learn to love the docks <laughs> and they have a high uh, have high tannins. Uh, so some they have do have some value. And sheep grazing also helps keep them under control. So um, so that's a very positive experience there from our uh, farmer in uh, Scotland. So it's great to get that feedback. Um, uh, some questions there, James, around the percentage. What percentage of the farm would you uh, recommend a farmer to, uh, in year one, to try out uh, reseeding red clover? I, I, I think that was the thing that really worried me at the open day. Um, one farmer was, was talking about putting in 60 or 70 acres of, of red clover, which is an awful leap of faith. Um, if you think about the costs, um, so I, I'd be kind of saying to, to, to go at this one step at a time. Mm, mm. And of course, there's, there's, okay, there's a cost of reseeding that amount of ground, but, you know, to build up experience of it before, you know, going all in. Yeah. That, 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 that's not a direct answer to the question because, you know, um, that's a, but it's, it's, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Slightly, slightly unrelated to clover, but um, the question here is why would maize not grow at Salahed? Or have you, have you tried it? Well, we haven't tried it. Uh, Fertility-wise, might be a problem. The, the real concern we'd have is getting into harvest it. Like Salahed is a wet farm, with a shallow water table. We've got a very, well, quite an impermeable subsoil. So if we get wet conditions, we'd be really in a right mess trying to get the crop out. Um, in October, November, you know that that's that's the real problem. And just one more comment for another farmer. He says, uh, "Great work, James. Oversowing red clover on two cut silage system, producing excellent silage quality and quantity, and very good weight gains when grazed with young stock." So uh, another positive remark. Pat, more more questions coming through there. Yeah, I, 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 I know. I know that people can kind of stitch in red clover. Um, like we've seen a lot of problems with oversowing white clover, so we have to be con even more concerned about it when it comes to red clover. I'm not saying it doesn't work, just just to just to be a bit more wary. That's all. Sorry, Pat. 
Yeah, I suppose back to, to alternative uh, issues. There's there's a few questions in there about uh, whether it's it's pollinator friendly or whether you're experiencing any uh, increase in pollinators in the in the areas where there's red clover. Ah, yeah, like you go into a field in the month of July, and and like it's often the question that comes up: should should red clover be allowed to, to flower out in you know, each year, in the first year in particular, and, and I'd say try to stop you at flowering out because you go into the field in July and it's just a, a mass of flowers and a mass of bees. Oh, it's re relatively short term, so I don't know how beneficial it is, but if you're walking through a field in in in, in the month of uh, July, with the bees bouncing off your forehead, like, you know, that's that kind of way there's so many bees active in the crop. But, but I'm no expert on it. Okay. Uh, there's a, a number of questions again, I know, and I know you dealt with it a good bit in terms of the the reseeding process. But there's there's a lot of questions coming in about it, so you might just uh, just go through what your recommendation is for reseeding. So, like what we'll do in Salahed, and I just talked about what we'll do is is um, we will spray it. Um, what time of the year would that be, James? Say, look, it, it could be any time of the year, but they take off a crop of first cut. Spray it as soon as it greens up with with, with glyphosate. We'd um, cultivate that uh, after a week or so uh, with a disc harrow. Who runs a disc harrow different directions, and then go in straight away with the uh, one pass system. You know, a seed box on top of a power harrow, and just just sew it in. And, and, and I think there's a there was a picture of that there on the thing. Then we'll um, put on uh, 10, 10, 20. We'll normally put on dung actually between cultivating, between burning off and cultivating, we'll, we'll normally go on with dung. After the crop starts to come up, then we'll, we'll uh, put on 10, 10, 20. Fairly soon after we plant the crop as well, after sowing it, the ground conditions are good enough, we'll go in with lime. It's a good opportunity to get on lime. Uh, after a few weeks, 10, 10, 20, then we're watching for the spraying. That spraying could take place post emergency herbicide anytime six to nine, ten weeks after receiving, depending on how quick the crop comes up. And, that, and that's about it. Um, regular P and K, then, uh, as I said, but other than the 10, 10, 20, two bags of 10, 10, 20 per acre after just to get the crop up, there's, there's no real need. I think one of the pictures I showed there showed a, a young red clover seedling with, with well-developed nodules on the on the roots. So you're you're fixing nitrogen very quickly with with. You need that initial nitrogen just for establishment. Just to get it up quickly and again to try to keep down the weeds, the, mm -hmm. the, the weeds. Yeah. So it's it's pretty straightforward. This 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 this. It's like any reseed. A question here, uh, James. Why is it necessary to include such high quantity of grass um, and any white clover in the seed mix? So, when when when, if you look at the work that was done in Grange, and I didn't go into it, but they used four kilos of perennial ryegrass per acre with four kilos of red clover, and they got very highly productive crops. When you look at the common mixes that are out there, they often contain twice as much um, perennial ryegrass as used in Grange. So I'd say there's some flexibility there around seeding rates. We could potentially go lower with the ryegrass. It's a good question. We could also maybe go a bit lower with the red clover. But look, they're the kind of mixes that are out there commercially available. And, and of course, these are well tried and tested, so we won't ignore that either. Putting the white clover in, I think, is very important. Um, personally, I wouldn't do it without the white clover, because the white clover just fills out the crop a bit more. And as I said, as the red clover then begins to decline, you see the white clover come into the crop more and more. And so why, why, why miss the opportunity to put it in? It can't do any harm. There's a question there in relation to a mix, a potential for mixes of, of red clover and Italian ryegrass as opposed to a perennial. Yeah, and again, you can. Uh, it's going to be a shorter term crop again. Higher yields again, and if you look at the kind of the maximum yield potential that you see in the literature, you're talking about 22 tons, and that's been recorded under some circumstances, and also been recorded under 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 farm conditions. Um, of course, the longevity of that crop then is 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 going to be shorter unless you can unless you can maintain it, and I and I'm aware of, of of people that are doing that, but again, that's that's very specialist. We take it one step at a time. 
questions in relation to performance of, of beef animals, but I presume there's no reason why the beef animals won't perform uh, to the same level as, as the dairy. Like, the, 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 the concern I'd have again, looking at the information is that, that there's always an element when you're doing this comparison with say perennial ryegrass and, and red clover, that you're always going to be promoting the red clover and saying the red clover is fantastic and it massive growth rates and everything else. And I think our experience and, and the reality is, is that like red clover won't be any worse. If you see your silage analysis, you might be a small bit concerned that it doesn't look that great. Um, which is obviously the case, but as I said, because of its higher intake characteristics, that compensates to some extent for the lower digestibility. So I suppose they, they, they come to a short answer about that is that they'll perform fine, but not necessarily better than, than ryegrass. I, I wouldn't oversell it is what I'm trying to say in terms of quality. Someone coming in here, James, from a, an advisor up in Donegal. Excellent practical presentation, as usual, from James. Uh, with high chemical fertilizer, dry stock farmer, uh, they'll be looking at, at red clover as 70% of their fertilizer is applied to silage swords. Um, so just we'll take that as a comment. Um, the question there, James, in relation to other species, you know, we've, we've spoken about multi-species swords a good deal over the last uh, couple of years on the series. I mean, are there opportunities there to identify other companion uh, species to go along with red clover? Well, I think red clover is, is, a, is a key component of multi-species swords. And when you look at the, when you look at the, um, how productive those swords can be, it's really the red and white clover key components of that in terms of supplying nitrogen, fixing nitrogen, they, you know, they're used under low nitrogen situation. The big concern I have, and particularly for multi-cut silage, is that docks will take over, and there's a real risk of that. Um, and like we've seen that, uh, if you don't get on top of the docks early in the cycle, at, at the seedling stage, by year three or four, five, you could have a right mess on your hands. You could have more docks than anything else, and that's, that's, that's the concern. Can we, I think there's going to be some, there is a question mark about the derogation for these post-emergence herbicides that we have available up till now. If we put in a multi-species, say chicory or plantain, or, you know, if we're limited in our capacity to control docks at the seeding stage, that, that's really the, the thing that I would be concerned about. And I've done a, a nice bit of work on docks as well over my career. So I have a bit of a, thing against stocks that, that's <laughs> <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be sending the school children out into the fields again i suspect in the next <laughs> number of years james we're going to have to wrap it up with that but huge huge interest james and lots of compliments on your presentation so really thank you very much for for that really timely of course with the the the, the huge uh, crisis uh, experienced in, in terms of fertilizer and nitrogen fertilizer um so uh, hopefully people will, will get something from that and maybe to, to have the confidence to try and and uh, maybe allocate portions of their farm into to red clover. Um, there is some, there seems to be a good experience there, uh, anecdotally anyway, from, from today's session. So maybe talk to, to other farmers and, or your, your advisor, your farm advisor uh, can, can access the, the knowledge base that's within Chagisk as well. So, James, thanks very much for that. And Pat, thanks for helping with questions. And uh, thank you, everybody, for your questions and tuning in today. Uh, today's session is recorded, as I mentioned earlier on, and James's presentation will be available on the Chagas website, as well as available as a podcast on the uh, Signpost podcast on whichever platform you access. Next week, we'll be talking to Professor Jane Stout. Uh, from the Natural School of Natural Science in Trinity College, and she'll be talking about the valuing natural capital for, for the future. And I expect that Jane may have some comments to, to make on red clover as well, uh, particularly from the biodiversity perspective. So until next week, thanks again for tuning in and uh, take care of yourselves. And we'll we'll uh, talk to you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify 
or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson, and thanks for listening.